So we're in the middle of a series on temptation, specifically the temptation of Christ. Um, And last week we focused on the idea that Jesus faces similar temptations to us. Food, power, wealth, the immediate need, the long-term need, and the overwhelming need. That's basically how you can break it down. Food, it's that immediate need. Power, it's that long-term need. And wealth, that takes you through the rest of your life. If only I had a little more. I talked about the statistic that says the average person in America says their financial problems would be solved if they only made 10% more. And it doesn't matter what level income they are at. That's typically the amount they feel like they need to make. Just that much more. But all sin comes down to this. 1 John 2.16 tells, tells us this. For all that is in the world, the lust, the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The lust, the flesh, and the pride of life. These are the same temptations that have been going on since the very beginning of time. Today we're going to look at the idea of Adam versus Jesus versus humanity. Not like in some kind of giant battle, because Jesus would win, but in what we face. We're comparing the three. Genesis 3, we begin to see that Adam and Eve already run into some issues. Now, the idea is that God created humanity so that there would be somebody who willfully chooses to follow him. Because it says the angels are compelled and have no choice. So he gives humanity free will, which I know some of your backgrounds, that's very difficult for you to understand, and that's okay. And some of you that are hardline Armenians are going, it's about time he talked about this. It's okay for you also. But the reality is we were given free will. We were given the will to choose to follow him or not follow him. That's up to us. And inside of that, in light of that, we have to decide, what does that mean for me? Am I going to choose to follow him, and how does that change my life? Because for some of us, following him means I show up once a week and punch my card, or once a month, or once every three months, I check in, now I'm good. For others, that means a daily devotion, a daily time of prayer, a daily time of reading the word. For others, it means we've devoted our whole life, our career, our whatever, our vocation to to pursuing God. For others, it means, yeah, you know, me and Jesus, we're all right. Like the 70s song says, Jesus is just all right with me, you know. Some of you remember the song. Genesis 3, starting at verse 2, tells us this. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree, of the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Okay, so now we go back. Here's Adam. The tree is good. The tree is going to make us wise. 
First off, if you go back in Scripture, God doesn't say, don't look at it. God doesn't say, don't touch it. God says, don't eat it. So from the very beginning, people are adding to what God said. I wear a t-shirt that says, Jesus never said that. Because people all the time will tell me things Jesus said. And I'm like, no, Jesus never said that. People all the time will tell me why I should get behind their political cause because it's what Jesus would do. I was like, no, Jesus pretty much didn't buy into any political cause. He pretty much goes, yeah, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Wait, what about tax cuts and incentives? And I don't care. What about this, Jesus? Doesn't really matter. Oftentimes he answered their question with a question. So they add to scripture, says nothing about touching it, but legalism's always more fun than just living for God. You say you hate legalism, but boy, it sure is easier if everybody just tell me, here's the seven things you gotta do and you'll get to heaven. And that's it, and I don't have to do anything extra, and nobody that doesn't do it gets to go so that I get to be in the exclusive club. Legalism shuts the door on everybody else, but lets me in because I'm willing to only go to church on this day and only go to this denomination and only do this and only do that. And I just follow my seven rules and then I'm good. But see, the reality is our faith is a lot more black and white and gray. See, there's that gray part. We want it to be right and wrong. And now anybody who doesn't agree with me, they're out. And anybody who does, well, they're still probably out because they don't do it quite as good as I do. If you go on to read through the rest of the chapter, as soon as God comes to them, Adam instantly gives blame. The same thing we do today. We justify our sin. We make excuses for our sin because it's a whole lot easier than just taking ownership of what we've done. He instantly blames Eve, the one that you gave me. Remember, God, this is really all your fault. Truly all God's fault. All this sin that we do, it's all God's fault. If God hadn't let Adam sin, then we wouldn't be in the world we're in right now. If God had not wanted people to have free will, he wouldn't have created us with free will. Sorry, I'm drinking so much today. My throat is just, I don't know what it is, but not friendly. So here's the three things that we notice. The tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's the things that we still struggle with today. When I was in high school, I was in a a public speaking competition. And uh, as part of that, I would do different speeches, and I did four-minute speech, and I did eight-minute speech, and then I did my stellar two-time state champion, in case you didn't know it, impromptu speech. Why? Because I'm good at just making stuff up on the spot. Sorry, now you know the truth. So as two-time state champion impromptu speech, you'd get 30 minutes and a topic, and you'd get to read a bunch of copies of Time and Newsweek and then go give a speech. And um, in the process of that, I learned that uh, according to, and this again was when I was in high school, so somewhere around the late 80s, 75% of all criminals in jail didn't matter what their crime was. So the reason they did it was greed. Murder, it was greed because somebody else wanted something that they wanted. Robbery, greed. 
Embezzlement, greed. Didn't matter what the crime was, 75% of all criminals said it was greed. Greed, at the end of the day, is a lack of trusting that you're going to have what you need from God. It's a lack of trust at some point. Now, I know that there are different reasons that things get stolen. I know that there are moral questions of, what about if a man steals a loaf of bread for a starving family? Pretty much, at least in our country, we're not in that situation anymore. I can give them the name of the guy that runs the food bank here in Burien or in Des Moines. They've let me take people through when it wasn't even open. I know, crazy. Greed, though, that's what it comes down to. It's I don't trust God to give me what I need or else I want more than what I really need. It all comes down to greed because Adam and Eve wanted to be equal with God. They want to be equal with God because they don't want to have to listen to somebody that's more powerful than them. The results of Adam's temptation is the fall of humanity. That's the result of it. Luke 4, 1 through 13. I'm not going to read the whole portion, but I'd like you to make a note of it because we're going to see that Christ is tempted. And uh, as you know, we read this from a different uh, passage last week, but the thing I want to highlight is this. Since then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus goes and he begins his ministry by being baptized. We briefly mentioned that last week. Then he's led by the Spirit and he goes to spend time with the Father. And he's tempted three times. uh, Command this stone to become bread. Verse 3. The devil showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. Verse 5. And throw yourself down from here. Verse 9. And the results of Christ's temptation are he stands firm, which paves the way for the redemption of humanity. Adam gives in, and it begins the fall of humanity. Christ stands firm. It gives the redemption for all humanity. When we look at it that way, you see why so many say that Christ really is a representation of what the perfection of earth was supposed to be like. He doesn't give in to the lust of the flesh, that immediate need. Instead, he comes up with one of the greatest lines of all time. Man cannot live by bread alone. People don't even know where it comes from, but they'll spout it off. He doesn't give in to this desire for all the kingdoms. He doesn't need it. Pretty much, there's not a kingdom on earth left that doesn't have somebody who proclaims his name. By giving in then, he wouldn't have had it, but by standing firm, he has it today. Throw yourself down from here. Show us the power God has. And he's looking and he's like, I don't need to show you the power God has. Only a fool would question it. So humanity, that's us, you and I. Where are we at today? We desire that not only that our needs be met, but exceeded. And we get in arguments online and in social media over whether the government owes or doesn't owe somebody this. 
And what do they owe me and what do they owe you and why aren't we doing more and why, aren't we, why is so much expected of us? But the reality is, us as humanity, our own greed keeps us from seeing the needs of our neighbors and our own greed believes that somebody else owes me something. Because in reality, nobody owes me anything and yet everything I have I should freely and willfully give away. I know you guys get nervous when I start talking politics. Humanity wants their needs to be met, but in reality, they want their needs exceeded because we all just want just a little more, just a bit more. If I only had just a little bit more. We want wealth, we want power. Why would anyone ever run for president? Because everybody, because they want power. You're not going to make at least half the country. Usually you're, you're making about 60% of the country angry with you. doesn't matter what party you're in. You're going to make somebody mad. I used to tell people when I had students that wanted to go into ministry, I said, only do it if you know that you're going to make people mad. And they're like, you mean because I'm spreading the gospel? No, because you're going to change a carpet color somewhere along the way. You're going to make people mad. Because you're going to move a piece of furniture that their great-grandmother gave. Really? But we don't need a glockenspiel anymore. Doesn't matter. Just stack stuff on top of it, but you keep it up there up front. Doesn't matter. One reason I won't put someone's name on something, if they donate it, because you can never get rid of it once their name goes up on it. It's there forever. I grew up in a church in Detroit. There were names on every pew. There was only one family name that was still around. The church was, you know, however many years old, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years old at that point. One family still there with, that had their name on a pew. We kept those stupid plaques on there. They wanted to get rid of the pews and put in chairs because they were running more than they could hold in pews and they could fit more people in in chairs. And people were furious. You don't even know these people. But somebody gave money for those. Yes, 60 years ago, somebody did. You want to make people mad? Make a stand for anything. You'll make people mad. Because everybody wants influence. Everybody wants power. So what happens when humanity is faced with temptation? But let's break it down even more. What happens when you're faced with temptation? on a daily level, when you know what's right and you know what's wrong. Many times it's hard to know, but when you do know what's right and what's wrong, either we stand firm in what we say we believe and we become a witness and a light, or we don't and we also say what we really believe. We make a statement either way about what I really believe what I really live, what really matters to me. We either learn to become a people who are an example, or what happens more often, we learn to hide what I really do because I don't want anyone to know because I've got to make sure this outside looks good and clean and shiny. I've said many times I'd rather know the real you than the fake you. 
But the real you gets messy, but the real me is messy too. I'm a pretty emotional guy. I'm, you know, didn't never cry. And then a few years back, I went through a pretty serious depression and then went through counseling. And now I cry all the time. I think they broke me. <laughs> I'm watching the Olympics, every story that comes on. I'm like, oh, that's so true. <laughs> I'm breaking down over speed skaters and curlers. In case you didn't know, and this is not just the Olympics, my wife can attest to this, there's actually a show called Curling Night in America. It goes on for not just during the Olympics, it actually leads up to the World Championships, and I watch it every week on Thursday nights. I record it if I'm not going to be home. I'm watching curling. My wife's like, this took place like two months ago. Who cares? I've got to see if they can block out. But these human interest stories, they get me. And part of that is the fact that They've all got a story. Everybody's got a story. And their stories, for the most part, even if they don't win, it's still a story of greatness. They went from wherever they were, you know, they had two broken legs and a broken back, and now they're skiing in the downhill. I'm like, wow, I can't even, you know, half the time I can't even make it to the appointments I have during the day. And they're doing rehab and then skiing in a downhill. I get tired some days just like looking at my calendar going, oh, man, I'm going to need a nap. But their stories are these stories of redemption, of hope, of promise. But the reality is, every one of our stories are. Your story is a hope of redemption and promise. Your story, the story of where you were and who you are today and who God is helping you to become, are stories of hope and redemption and promise. And the beauty is, it doesn't matter what I've done along the way. It doesn't matter where I've been. What matters is that he's got something for me. He's got something for me for what's next. And he's working to help me become who he created me to be. And the problem is, I'm so stuck on my past. I'm so stuck on my failures. I'm so stuck on what I didn't do and didn't become and the opportunities I missed that I don't catch that there's still hope and promise for me today. And as long as I'm breathing and as long as I'm standing, God still has a plan and a purpose for me today. And I have got to learn to stand up and say, this is who I'm called to be. And as I do that, then I'm going to fulfill what he has called me to do and to become. There's no temptation that you're facing that hasn't been faced before. That struggle within you, that feeling of defeat, the addiction that keeps creeping up, the habits that keep going on, it's nothing new. And the beauty is we can be free from them. And I don't paint this easy picture. I have too many friends that have been through rehab to believe it's a simple process. Because you have to shape and change the way you think and act and react to become who God wants you to be. But I know that you can do it and I know that there's hope for all of us. So what are my conclusions to this simple little message today? As you know, I always have more questions than answers. But my question is this. What do I do to prepare myself for temptations I know I'm going to face? Well, we're going to talk about that next week, so I hope you'll stick around. <laughs> God, thanks for this day, and I thank you for everybody at Gathering Place. I thank you for your grace and your love in our life. And I thank you, God, that though we face temptation, nothing we face is bigger than you. God, make it real in our life. Make us be able to walk through this 
and still be able to look and say, I did all I could to stand and to stand firm for what I know and believe. God, help us be a people who are loving and gracious and kind and showing a lost, dark world that there's hope. Thank you, Father God, for all you do in us and through us. In your name, amen.